most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, April 12th, 2022, the 447th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Before we get started, I just want to mention a great American patriot, Mike Lindell and his great American company, MyPillow, who are sponsors of this show, I am proud to say. Now, I own a bunch of MyPillow products. My bed has the mattress pad and the Giza sheets and the MyPillows just all over it, just all in one pile. I lay down. I just spread things out in certain directions and fall asleep that way. That's how it goes. Still comfortable because MyPillow is comfortable. They're also sending me the towels and the slippers as soon as I let them know what kind. I keep saying they're sending them. They are. But it's my fault that they haven't arrived yet. So I just want to make that clear. They're very efficient with their shipping. And if you order, you will also get a free gift, which I believe right now is a soft cover copy of Mike Lindell's autobiography. Go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code reasonable, and you can get up to 60% on a range of items across the MyPillow.com website. So if you want to support me, support Mike Lindell, support the show. That's a great way to do it, and you can get more comfort in your life by doing so. So I am back after a very brief break. I had some things to do over the weekend, and I was out of town, and now I'm back. And so the show's back. And I hope that if you listened to the readings of the Who Is At Q series, you enjoyed them. Part one is still available on the podcast, but I had put two and three up. I have now taken those down because there's going to be another reading of the entire series in the very near future. And I think that that'll be a lot of fun. And I would rather people just hear it in that form. So that's the plan. Parts one through five are available to everyone on Substack right now. I'm your moderator.substack.com. And I will make part six available for everyone very soon. And then the big end piece is called A Story of Reality. And then that will be up before next week to paid subscribers and then eventually to everyone. Okay, so on Thursday's show last week, there were two stories which align with what I want to talk about today. 
And so just a quick reminder, there was the story about the January 6th defendant, Matthew Martin, who was found not guilty of participating in the very violent insurrection because he was allowed into the Capitol by Capitol Police officers on the side of the building where the violence that we were shown by the media was not happening. He participated in the peaceful protest. He said it was like a block party, that everybody was in good spirits, and he was waved into the Capitol. And so he walked in where he was peaceful inside the Capitol, went back to his hotel, became aware of the violence that happened that day on the news, and then eventually got in big, big trouble for being there. So luckily, the court did the right thing and found him not guilty, and hopefully he will be able to continue on with his life. And then also on Thursday, there was the big piece from NBC News and the mouthpiece of the law enforcement and intel communities at NBC News, Ken Delanian, who reported that the intelligence community in the United States has been making up and quote unquote declassifying intelligence on the situation between Russia and Ukraine. And they claimed to be doing this so that Russia would not do the things they made up. And they are selling this to the public as a very effective strategy in stopping Russia. The sanctions didn't do anything, and the ruble has now returned itself to being even more valuable than it was before the West attacked the ruble in hopes of stopping Russia from advancing in its takedown of deep state assets in Ukraine and the denazification and demilitarization of Ukraine through their special military operation. Or at least that's the Russian story about what Russia is doing over there. And that story seems to map onto reality fairly well. You can back up a lot of the aspects of what they're saying. On the flip side, we are being told by our intel community that they have essentially made everything up. And that might partially explain the fact that everything we are being shown in Western media in regards to Russia quickly proves wrong and not only wrong, ridiculously wrong, like there is nothing true about it. The bombing of the maternity hospital even though the maternity hospital had been cleared out two weeks prior so that neo-Nazi battalions could be stationed there. For instance, we were told they bombed the maternity hospital and we were shown an Instagram influencer rushing out, saved from the bombing while pregnant. We were shown the ghost of Kiev and other video game footage and told that was real. We were told that 13 brave Ukrainians on a small island told Russia to stick it where the sun don't shine and that Russia slaughtered them. That didn't happen at all. There were way more than 13 and Russia simply removed them from the island, got them to surrender, and I think have released them at this point. So we're being told 
that what the intel community, what the law enforcement community and what the fake administration is telling us is actually false, but false on purpose. It's a lie for our benefit. And what we should do once we find out we've been lied to for our own benefit is to continue trusting the people that lie to us because it's for our own benefit. And if the intel community is lying to us, then the media isn't lying to us because what they're doing is truthfully reporting the lies of the intel community, which means we can still trust the media too. Now, did they do the journalism and research to find out whether or not the information they were passing on was a lie? No, of course not. That's not their job anymore. Their job is to tell us what they're supposed to tell us to advance the agenda. So these are lies, but they are for our own good. And once you have rationalized to yourself that the lies you are telling are actually for the benefit of the person you're lying to, well, anytime you can argue to yourself or anyone else that the lies are benefiting someone, well, then you can just lie all you want. And when they tell us that the benefit is ours, that's the same justification they use to lie to us about everything. We saw this all throughout COVID. You're better safe than sorry. Take our word for it. Mask up, vax up, better safe than sorry. That's how you trust the science in 2022. Trusting the science means trusting authoritative voices and authoritative sources. And so the argument is, well, yeah, the media is wrong and they're lying, <laughs> but at least they are authoritative sources, not like all those conspiracy theorists online. With that in mind, let's consider what the media is telling us right now. And I want to start with Shanghai and these new extreme COVID lockdowns because the CCP has decided that their goal is zero COVID. Now, if your goal is zero COVID, you have set yourself an impossible goal. And if that impossible goal is adopted, then there is no extent to which the measures they can inflict on their society cannot be rationalized because no matter how hard they go, there will still be more COVID, which will mean there is more justification for more extreme measures. Now, think back to the beginning of COVID before it got to America. We were seeing video from China of citizens just falling over in the streets and and they had increased their orders of coffins and urns to deal with all the dead. The bodies were just piling up everywhere. And so it finally got to America and we saw some similar videos. We heard about mass graves being dug in small islands off New York City. And it was all so real and very, very scary. So now what we're seeing in Shanghai is extreme lockdowns. We're getting reports from all over the place about people being 
locked into their apartments from the outside by the authorities. They cannot go shop for food. People are screaming in their buildings at the top of their lungs. And we are having that played back to us. People are starving. They are launching themselves out of their buildings, plummeting to their death. We are hearing about pets being rounded up. We see videos of cats in what look like see-through trash bags. And the cats, I guess, will be hauled off to their demise. And we hear about dogs being smashed with shovels. Now, all that's very horrifying stuff. And it is kind of interesting to me that they went to the pets. Perhaps they realized that the American audience of mainstream media doesn't actually care at all about the Chinese people in the same way that they don't care about the American people. But when they see pets being harmed or tortured, that really strikes a chord in them. That's something that they can really react to and get into and get upset about. So we are supposed to understand that there is a very scary variant out there. So very scary that if it ever comes here from China, oh, we're going to have a very bad time. We're going to have to lock down all over the place. We're going to have to mask up again so we can cover our faces and no one will know who we are. We might have to lock down again. We might have to do mail-in voting again. Hey, we might have to just cancel the election altogether to save everyone from COVID. Are way too many people vaccinated from COVID already? Yes, but the vaccines don't work and the vaccines aren't vaccines. So no. Did Rochelle Walensky from the CDC just recently say that 95% of our population has some level of immunity from the coronavirus? Well, yes, but they don't care about that. So no. But you're not supposed to think about any of this. You're supposed to imagine your pet being taken away from you because you got COVID. We've even seen a video where a small child was put into an adult size chemical suit and then walked to a waiting van where he or she would be whisked off to a quarantine camp. And of course, that's very scary as well. But I watched that video and I've watched a bunch of these different videos and it reminds me of what we saw last August in Afghanistan as that situation deteriorated. And I want you to recall specifically the video where the U.S. military plane was taking off and people who we are meant to believe are Afghan citizens were latched onto the landing gear of the plane so that they could hope to be flown out of Kabul and they were just going to hang on the plane for a few hundred or a few thousand miles way up in the sky, you know, safe. Now, people would only do that if they thought that was the last plane out of Kabul and that they would be facing imminent death if they weren't on that plane. So we saw that plane take off and we saw people fall off the landing gear as the plane ascended. But before the plane took off, we saw the video as it 
ran down the runway, whoever was filming, alongside that plane. And we saw a couple of effeminate Afghan teens just waving their hands and smiling like, look, Ma, I'm on the runway. And the video also looked like grainy film video from 30 years ago. There were just a lot of things wrong with the video. And we are shown video, and that video in some way corresponds to the narrative that we're being told. And we think, well, I guess that video has to be true, right? I mean, they're not going to show it. The news is not going to show us fake video or fake photographs of some stuff that they're talking about. Are they? They couldn't do that. And then if the video is fake, how come none of the networks have realized it? We're being shown this video by Fox and by CNN and by MSNBC. And maybe they're giving us slightly different takes on what the video is. But the one thing that does not seem to be in dispute is that the video is real. And so if we are a little bit discerning, we might say, ah, something about what Fox is saying sounds a little off or something about what MSNBC is saying sounds a little off, but I can trust that that video is legitimate. So I'll just form my own opinion based on that video. And then we'll see how the news develops. So I'm watching this child walk toward this van, this child being led toward this van by other people in full chemical suits And the child's walking around with the arms of the chemical suit just flopping around and the feet of the chemical suit just flopping around. It looks ridiculous. Now, I don't know it's fake, right? The CCP is evil for sure. I accept that. No problem. Could they do stuff like this to their citizens? Absolutely. But so can Gavin Newsom. And he traditionally does it in line with what the CCP is doing. So to that extent, it's believable. All right. Totally possible. I cannot say that it's not real. So I'm not saying it's not real. I am saying that there are reasons to believe it might not be. And with as ridiculous it looks, we should apply a higher standard before we're simply convinced by it. If the video was all the information we had, how would we think of the video? Would we take it extremely seriously? Would it seem that scary? I don't know. But we're getting a big story along with it. And the mainstream media anchors, the script readers on our popular news programs, are all freaking out about how cruel and authoritarian the CCP is. Now, that's not something they have spent their time doing for the last two plus years, even though they could have made that argument every single day. I've made that argument plenty of times. The Chinese for years have had millions of Muslim Uyghurs in concentration camps in Xinjiang province in China. That's evil. They're being re-educated out of their religion. The men are beaten and tortured. The women are sterilized and raped and their heads are shaved so that their hair can be sold as extensions to Western women. But none of that was enough for Fox or CNN or MSNBC to begin reporting 
on the evils of the Chinese Communist Party. So why now? Why is the Shanghai lockdown and these COVID mitigations, why is this the cause for them to finally go after the CCP? They are attempting to make China look extremely evil. And again, I agree that the CCP is evil. But if you allow for the good twin, evil twin dichotomy in China, the possibility of that, then perhaps there's another way to look at this. We know that there is going to be some sort of issue regarding China and Taiwan in the coming days or weeks or months. This has been prefaced for a long time. And the Russian action in Ukraine is in some way a preview of what we're going to see from our media when China finally moves on Taiwan in the relatively near future. Now, the mainstream media and the global communists who direct what our mainstream media in America is going to do, we're talking about state propaganda, propaganda on behalf of the global communists and the world order they are attempting to create. Now, those people are savvy enough to understand that whatever they attempted to do with Russia and Ukraine and their messaging combined with their censorship, all of that propaganda and censorship regime, what they tried to do with Russia and Ukraine was not particularly effective. It worked for the mainstream audience. The child brains will be child brains. But even some of those child brains started waking up because the propaganda was so poorly executed. People are not believing the narrative, and that's why the media's coverage of Ukraine seems to be tapering off. The Ukraine freakout in many ways seems to be over. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to have some sort of scare event, some way to turn all this back up. In fact, I saw earlier today John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman, talking about how there was maybe a chemical weapons attack in Mariupol. And we'll see how that develops. I'm not saying they're just going to completely give the thing up, but it's not working and they know it's not working, which means they need to change the subject. Now, pretty much everyone knows that there is talk of China invading Taiwan in the near future. And if that situation is indeed a mirror to what we're seeing in Russia and Ukraine, then we should be prepared to figure out whether or not there's another reason that's all happening. Are deep state assets being taken out in Taiwan as they were in Ukraine? We have to allow for that possibility and we have to have our eyes open to anything that hints that that's what's happening. So if you want to be able to have that propaganda narrative perform better than your Russia-Ukraine narrative, well, what you have to do is turn the volume of the CCP's evil up to 11 and do it earlier. And that may be what we're seeing right now. Again, there have been years during which the mainstream media, the propaganda state media of the global communists could have been calling out the evils of China. But even during COVID, they didn't. In fact, they defended China explicitly. They said it wasn't really a problem that the Chinese didn't share their information. It wasn't really a problem 
that they didn't warn us immediately. It wasn't really a problem that they lied about human to human transmission of the coronavirus. It's just China being China. And of course, there's no problem that our Defense Department uses American taxpayer dollars to fund dangerous biological research with China in labs in China because we have outlawed that research in America. The media never went after that. But now, of all times, they choose now to begin the narrative that the CCP is horrifically evil. And so we have to look at what we're being told about Shanghai and lockdowns and suicides and starvation and the killing of pets. We have to look at it with all that context. And then we have to ask ourselves, is the mainstream media, the propaganda state media, finally being honest? Are they reporting the story correctly for the first time in many years because the danger of what's happening in China is so real? Now, I would submit to you that the mainstream media did not just decide to begin telling us the truth. They're not telling us the truth for the first time this time because the subject is so important. And so with that in mind, we have this New York subway shooting. A gunman on the subway in Brooklyn went on a shooting spree in the subway. And we're being shown video of people rushing out of the subway trains. We have people on the subway platform who are bleeding very red blood in big pools. And we're being told that there were undetonated devices found in the subway. It's kind of reminiscent of the January 5th, 2021 pipe bombs found at the RNC and DNC. They still have not located the suspect in that. That story just went away. And now we're being told that there were high capacity magazines recovered from the subway scene. And two unnamed officials have told CNN that the gun jammed. It would have been much worse because he had the high capacity magazines, but the gun jammed and the devices did not detonate. Thank goodness. There's also some strange video where the people on the subway platform after all this took place were being told to get back onto the trains. Now, listen, I don't know how these things work. So is it possible that there's a good explanation for why they wanted to put the people back on the trains? Yeah, maybe. But you would think that unless they had completely locked down the scene, that would present a higher danger for all those people, right? To avoid the danger completely, they should be held outside of the subway station or inside the subway station or on the platform. It would seem like being enclosed in the subway train cars would be the most dangerous place. The platform would be the second most. The station would be the third most. And then outside would be the safest. But that's not what they did. So there has to be an explanation for that. And maybe we'll get one. Now, this story is obviously developing, so I don't have the answers. But again, 
are we to expect that the media out of nowhere begins telling us the truth about this event? They have not told us the truth about any event in years and maybe decades. And we should be especially wary and especially skeptical of any story that comes up out of nowhere and is meant to immediately grab our attention and make us react. And this is especially true when they begin coupling the narrative of the event with a political initiative that they already wanted to enact, right? So we will see before today ends, or certainly before this story goes away, we will see the fake administration make a bigger push for gun control. In fact, they already started doing that yesterday. Joe Biden wants to eliminate what they are calling ghost guns, which means that a gun has been altered with upgraded parts or that a gun was put together at one's home. Now, there is nothing illegal about that. But to the extent that the fake administration believes it will work to promote their gun control agenda, which is, let's be honest, a gun grabbing agenda. They do not want the American population armed. Nothing could be clearer than that. And so we should expect the anti-gun rhetoric to be ratcheted up using this subway shooting as an example. So 15 shootings on an average Saturday in Chicago barely warrants a headline. But this shooting on a Brooklyn subway will capture multiple news cycles. Why are we told to care about one and not the other? Why is one of them a justification for pushing elements of their agenda that they already wanted to enact? It's because of the scare factor. It's because this makes average people in New York scared to go on the subway. They think something like this could happen again. Maybe there will be a copycat. And people have to embrace the fear in a way that they wouldn't when they're told about shootings in black neighborhoods in Chicago. This is what the media wants us to believe. And they tell us how they want us to react. It's like having an applause sign in a TV studio you know, or a laugh track on the sitcoms that we were raised watching. The sign in the studio tells the audience when to applaud so that the people eventually watching the show will think the audience really liked what it was they were watching. The laugh track is even more artificial, obviously. It's telling you, hey, it's time for you to laugh or it's okay if you laugh at this thing. They're telling you what to laugh at and making you believe that your peers in the audience are laughing at it too. The media is telling us how they want us to react in all of these things. And so it's up to you to watch this and then choose whether or not the reaction they want you to have is your real reaction. It is a reaction that you've been conditioned to have, but is it your natural reaction? And if it's not, you're not required to react in agreement with the television. No matter how much it feels like all of your peers are reacting that way. Again, we just saw this with 
Russia and Ukraine and that massive freakout. Everybody changing their profile pics to you, a Ukrainian flag, hashtag stand with Ukraine while supporting the arming of actual Ukrainian Nazis while supporting steps toward World War Three. That's the result of people reacting the way the television tells them to react. Remember, there is one true thing that the propaganda state media will tell you. They will always be truthful about what they want you to believe. So let's keep going on this subject. This is from American Greatness on Saturday. This is Julie Kelly. FBI kidnapping caper was flagrant election interference. On October 8th, 2020, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer announced shocking news. Federal authorities had arrested several men for conspiring to kidnap and possibly kill her before Election Day. After indulging in a moment of self-pity, Whitmer quickly pinned the blame on President Trump, a man with whom Whitmer had engaged in a very public feud throughout 2020 over pandemic-related lockdowns. Trump, Whitmer claimed, fueled the rage of alleged white supremacists and right-wing militias responsible for the dastardly abduction plot. When our leaders meet with, encourage, or fraternize with domestic terrorists, they legitimize their actions, Whitmer said in a televised speech, and they are complicit. Earlier that day, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, also a Democrat, and officials from the U.S. Department of Justice detailed the charges in a separate press conference. Last night, the FBI and Michigan State Police arrested six individuals charged in a criminal complaint with conspiring to kidnap the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, explained Andrew Burge, assistant U.S. attorney for the Western District of Michigan. The defendants, Burge claimed, plotted to kidnap Whitmer from her vacation cottage, quote, before the November election. His office took the lead in prosecuting the six defendants, who also faced weapons of mass destruction charges. Exactly 18 months to the day, Burge's prosecutors suffered a humiliating defeat in a Grand Rapids courtroom after a jury acquitted two of the men and deadlocked on the guilt of two others. Two defendants pleaded guilty and testified for the government during the three-week trial. Despite endless resources and favorable rulings by the judge overseeing the case, the government failed to secure a single conviction in what the Justice Department considered one of its largest domestic terror investigations ever. All right. So if you want to get the rest of that story, head over to American Greatness, Julie Kelly, April 9th. But let's think about this. OK, so six defendants were charged. There were 18 people involved in total. Why weren't 18 people charged? Well, 12 of those people were actual feds or federal government assets, informants or otherwise. So they were off the table. Now, two of the six decided that they would testify against the other four. And that still didn't secure convictions for any of the other four because it was a setup. And this entire plot was run by the same people who ran the January 6th plot. And we should see the Michigan kidnapping plot as a prelude to January 6th. How is it that we're all told a state governor may have been kidnapped and killed? It was just about to happen. They were plotting to do it. 
We're told it was about to be one of the greatest domestic terrorist incidents in our nation's history. And they caught all the people who were conspiring to do this. And none of them got convicted. Because the actual plot was FBI entrapment. It wasn't a bunch of MAGA supporters trying to kidnap and kill the Michigan governor. Should we believe that the media was telling the truth about all this and that the courts just failed us this time on this grave incident of domestic terrorism? Of course not. The media was complicit in the lie. The media gave us the false story. They amplified the federal government's story, the FBI's story, because that's what they wanted us to believe. Same thing with January 6th, and we can see that situation unraveling in the same way. We're being propagandized, and if we don't go along with it, if we fail to believe it, if we speak out against it, then we are domestic terrorists just like the other people they've entrapped. And here's another one. This is from today in the National Pulse. This is Natalie Winters. Another conspiracy dies as U.S. border agents are cleared of migrant whipping claims. And I imagine that you all remember this story. We were told that border agents were whipping migrants. We got the pictures of them on the horses. Joe Biden agreed with it. Jen Psaki agreed with it. All of the communists were 100% certain that the border agents were whipping migrants out of racism. Sensationalist reports of U.S. Border Patrol agents whipping Haitian migrants at America's southern border, a narrative pushed by the White House, mainstream media outlets, and left-wing politicians and activists, have been confirmed as false. Despite audacious attempts to malign U.S. border officials, those who stood accused of attacking the migrants have been cleared of misconduct. The incident underwent a probe by the Customs and Border Protection's Office of Professional Responsibility, which National Border Patrol Council President Brandon Judd revealed had yielded no evidence supporting the left-wing theory that agents whipped Haitian migrants. The only reason that we know they were cleared is because the Office of Professional Responsibility started their investigation and they compelled them to give a statement. Once you compel somebody to give a statement, you can't take criminal action against them, Judd explained while speaking to the Daily Caller. The incident took place on September 19th, 2021, when thousands of Haitian migrants, part of a surge precipitated by the White House's lax immigration policies, attempted to cross the border into Del Rio, Texas. Border agents on horseback were captured in images that quickly turned viral with many left-wing activists and journalists asserting the agents were whipping the Haitian migrants. And I'm going to jump down to the bottom of this story. Prior to the CBP probe clearing agents of wrongdoing, media outlets had already been forced to issue corrections over the story. A critical component to the left's narrative that agents were whipping Haitians crumbled shortly after the story broke as Border Patrol personnel don't carry whips. The photographer who captured many of the images at the center of the controversy told NBC9 in El Paso, he didn't ever see the agents whip anybody, adding that the photos have been really misconstrued. The narrative collapse follows a host of other mainstream media peddled stories concerning the Wuhan Institute of Virology and its relationship to COVID-19 and dismissal of Hunter Biden's hard drive as Russian disinformation. Nice point, Natalie Winters. 
So another multi-news cycle freakout turns out to be absolutely and completely fabricated. Not only is it not as severe as described, it's not even close to as described. They just found something they could use and went with it because they have an agenda and they don't care about lying to us because they tell us it's for our own good. We go along with the lie because we imagine our peers will go along with the lie and we don't want to be seen as the people who are morally uncaring about migrants being whipped or about the people of Ukraine being attacked or about a governor being kidnapped or about a very violent insurrection happening. What are we insurrectionists? We don't want to be on the side of the insurrectionists. And because we don't want to be labeled that way, we will just go along with whatever the television says. No matter how detrimental it is to our fellow citizens and to us, because, of course, if you're going to believe pretty much anything the television says, then you might as well also believe them when they tell you they're lying to you for your own good. Now, you're going to think that I'm changing subjects without a segue here, but I promise I'm not. This is a headline from this morning in the L.A. Times. Twitter bots helped build the cult of Elon Musk and Tesla. But who's creating them? In early November 2013, the news wasn't looking great for Tesla. A series of reports had documented instances of Tesla Model S sedans catching on fire, causing the electric car maker's share price to tumble. Then on the evening of November 7th, within a span of 75 minutes, eight automated Twitter accounts came to life and began publishing positive sentiments about Tesla. Over the next seven years, they would post more than 30,000 such tweets. With more than 500 million tweets sent per day across the network, that output represents a drop in the ocean. But preliminary research from David A. Kirsch, a professor at the University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business, concludes that activity of this sort by so-called bots has played a significant part in the stock of the future narrative that has propelled Tesla's market value to altitudes loftier than any traditional financial analysis could justify. In a market in love with meme stocks, sexy narrative is proving far more profitable than financial analysis, said Kirsch, co-author of Bubbles and Crashes, the boom and bust of technological innovation. The Tesla narrative is extraordinarily powerful, Kirsch said. Despite the company's several brushes with bankruptcy, the vision of a planet-saving, world-dominating business enterprise has enabled chief executive Elon Musk to keep selling stock to the public to keep it fueled. At a certain point, it does become self-fulfilling. Whether Twitter bots are being deliberately programmed to manipulate stock trading is among the questions that Kirsch and his research assistant, Motion Chowdhury, are trying to answer. Their inquiry comes as Musk has been signaling an intention to use his wealth and gigantic Twitter following to influence the platform's future direction and policies. After buying nearly 10% of Twitter last month, Musk announced that he'd be joining the board, but Twitter revealed Monday that he'd changed his mind for unspecified reasons. Musk is a Twitter phenomenon, constantly posting tweets for his 80 million followers that range from standard to outrageous to juvenile to profane. 
He settled fraud charges with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission in 2018 for allegedly duping investors into believing he had a deal to take Tesla private when he didn't. He's now trying to nullify that agreement in the courts. A Twitter bot is a fake account programmed to scour the social media site for specific posts or news content. Musk's post, for example, and respond with relevant pre-programmed tweets. Tremendous long-term growth prospects or why Tesla stock is rallying today or Tesla's delivery miss was meaningless. The bots can also be programmed to send nasty or threatening messages to company critics. Kirsch and Chowdhury collected and reviewed Tesla-related tweets from 2010 when the company went public to the end of 2020. Over that period, Tesla lost and accumulated $5.7 billion, even as its stock soared and Musk became one of the richest humans on the planet. His net worth is estimated at $275 billion. Operational results can't justify anything close to the company's $1 trillion market value based on any kind of traditional stock pricing metric. Emails to Tesla and a Twitter message to Musk seeking comment for this story went unanswered. Using a software program called Botometer that social media researchers use to distinguish bot accounts from human accounts, the pair found that a fifth of the volume of tweets about Tesla were bot generated. That's not out of line with giants like Amazon and Apple, but their bots tended to push the stock market and tech stocks in general with those companies as leaders, but not focus on any particular narrative about the companies. While any direct link between bot tweets and stock prices has yet to be determined, the researchers found enough smoke to keep their project going. Over the 10-year study period of about 1.4 million tweets from the top 400 accounts posting to the cash tag dollar sign TSLA, 10% were produced by bots. Of 150,000 tweets posted to the hashtag TSLA, 23% were from bots, the research showed. Kirsch and Chowdhury tracked 186 Tesla-related bot accounts and found that after each was launched, the company's stock appreciated more than 2%. They looked at the average stock return for the week previous to the bot's creation and for the week following. While Tesla's market value has increased over the years, the price has seen dramatic ups and downs. The periods around bot creation showed sharp increases, but outside those windows, trading was far more volatile, Chowdhury said. This isn't a causal relationship, but it does raise questions, Kirsch said, about why there's a correlation that does not appear to be random. We're trying to understand the mechanism. It can't just be a bunch of tweets that push the stock. People have to notice them, interpret them, and act on them. The researchers are looking at the timing of tweets and options activity in the overnight stock market, among other factors. One big unknown, whether the bots are the work of entities with a direct financial interest in Tesla. Twitter bots have been created on behalf of other companies, the researchers found, but the content tends to be what they call generic marketing messages. Whatever the effect on stock prices, Kirsch said, the bot campaign represents a new form of corporate content distribution, or as he calls it, computerized computational propaganda. This computational content may have buffered the Tesla narrative from an emergent group of critics, relieved downward pressure on the Tesla stock price, and amplified pro-Tesla sentiment from the time of the firm's IPO in June 2010 to the end of 2020, reads a paper that the researchers plan to present at the International Electric Vehicle Symposium in June in Oslo. 
The paper calls Musk a singular figure on Twitter with his 80 million followers. It's not clear if this strategy could be replicated by other firms, the authors write. If so, the legal and ethical questions will become more salient. Should firms that use bots have to disclose their use to the SEC or conform with lobbying disclosure rules? Those are questions Kirsch believes regulators will need to consider as other firms see how Musk and Tesla have benefited from their bot following. It matters who stands in the public square and has a big megaphone they're holding and the juice they're able to amplify their statements with, he said. So there are a bunch of things that are interesting about the fact that this story exists. Now, the narrative of the story is at least somewhat believable. We are aware that bots exist on Twitter and that bots are used for certain purposes. So it wouldn't be unreasonable to believe that the bots could be used to enhance the public's perception of a company's value. And they mentioned other companies that have employed bots, but said that those were okay. So this seems like a bit of an Elon Musk takedown, which on some level does make sense because he is disrupting one of the most crucial tools in the global communist toolkit, their ability to completely control the means by which information is disseminated to society. They want the echo chamber on Twitter. They want the censorship and they want people to believe that Twitter represents reality. Now, there's no way that Twitter can represent reality when there are so many bots on it. And if we are smart and discerning, we already take these sorts of things into account. Legacy social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter are governed by algorithms. The algorithms are not simply neutral. They show people what the legacy social media platforms want their users to see. They are trying to make their users believe a certain narrative and make them believe that all of their peers and all of the VIPs in society, the ones with the little blue check marks next to them, all believe the same thing. So if they want to succeed in society, succeed within the party of false decorum, well, they need to adopt the same beliefs that all these very successful people adopt. And it's funny now that the propaganda state media is forced to confront all of this. Because the implications go well beyond this attempt to imply that Elon Musk's company is artificially inflated in its value and to maybe cause him problems with the SEC or cause him problems with how the public perceives his partial ownership of Twitter now. Now, Twitter has previously settled a lawsuit for $800 million with their shareholders for faking the user numbers, the, the number of accounts on their platform and for selling the Twitter stock based on those falsified numbers, numbers falsified by bots. Twitter itself is guilty of exactly what this L.A. Times article is suggesting Elon Musk is guilty of. Twitter was well aware of the number of bots on their site. They allowed them to be perceived as actual active users. They didn't tell that to their investors or to the public. 
And then, of course, take it one step further into the political realm. We were told that Russia had bot farms and troll farms all across social media. And those bots and trolls were there to push the Russian agenda. And by virtue of their doing this, they rigged the 2016 election for Donald Trump. And somehow Donald Trump colluded with them to make that happen. That is what we were told. Now, all of that is explicitly in violation of Twitter's terms of service and their policies. These are all accounts that should be taken down. But Twitter doesn't do it. And why not? Well, the number of actual active users on Twitter is far smaller than Twitter reports it to be. And they don't want to just expose that fact. So the bots stay in place and the bots do what they do in whatever realm of perception they are trying to influence. And the public is left believing that everybody knows, everybody believes a whole range of narratives that simply are not known and believed by the public. And I've said many times that this is the same effect that falsified elections have. We imagine that the best possible evidence of what the public actually believes, what we the people actually believe, are the elections. And that would make sense if elections were legitimate and we didn't have countless fake votes. Because that would be real world data. The number of votes for a given candidate or a given policy would be a real indicator of what the public thought of that candidate or policy. But with millions and millions of fake votes entered into an electoral process, those things become completely separate. We don't any longer have a true picture of what the public believes. And if you can't get that picture from what the public is voting on, well, where can you get it? You can get it from the people you talk to, I suppose, but otherwise it is fed to us from the propaganda state media and it's backed up by the universities. So we have controlled outlets that feed us the information like the legacy social media apps and the state media networks, the state media newspapers. Those are the ways that we receive our information, even if it's just, you know, sitcoms or television dramas, or movies that we see in theaters, they are all possibly elements of propaganda as well. And if the sentiments expressed through these outlets seem to match in some way the results of an election, then we believe that both sides of that equation represent reality, and they represent what we the people actually think. And then, of course, we get polls and the polls tell us, oh, the people think this as well. Now, polls are not totally worthless. You can gain some information from polls, particularly as you watch trends develop. But there's no reason to believe that the raw numbers in any poll are dead on accurate. And so what we have is a total skewing of perception that we are nonetheless told to believe without further investigation. In fact, further investigation makes us part of the problem. It makes us bad people to not believe the narrative. And they will continue to repeat this process again and again and again and again until the people finally stand up and say, we don't believe any of this anymore. And we are on the way to that. I'm 
as optimistic as I ever was. The public is beginning to discern the truth better every day. Now, speaking of legacy social media and their manipulation of society, this is from Breitbart yesterday. Zuckerberg money won't be in next round of aid for elections. The nonprofit that distributed most of the $350 million in donations from Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg to election offices in 2020 said Monday that it won't disperse similar donations this year after backlash from conservatives suspicious that the contributions tilted the outcome of the presidential race toward Joe Biden. Instead, the Center for Technology and Civic Life is launching a different program. Dubbed the U.S. Alliance for Election Excellence, the $80 million five-year effort is intended to create a network for the nation's thousands of election officials who can apply for aid to improve their technology and processes. And you see, that's better. Now the local election officials have to ask for the money instead of Mark Zuckerberg thrusting it on them. It's more about consent, really. Unfortunately, years of underinvestment means many local election departments often have limited capacity and training. The U.S. Alliance for Election Excellence is bringing together world-class partners so that local election officials no longer have to go it alone, said Tiana Epps Johnson, CTCL's executive director, who announced the new program at the TED 2022 conference. Alliance for Election Excellence. Excellence. So dystopian. The 2020 effort by Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan, amid the COVID-19 pandemic, fueled conservative anger and distrust of the presidential election outcome. At least eight GOP controlled states passed laws last year banning private donations to election offices in reaction to Zuckerberg's donations. Suspicious that the contributions, routinely referred to as Zuckerbucks by conservatives, helped Biden, a Democrat, has become a staple among those who believe in former President Donald Trump's election lies. Now, remember, this is Breitbart, okay, fully complicit with the big lie narrative. Just keep that in mind when you are reading Breitbart articles. They are lying about the most important thing, which means that everything else they publish should be looked at with a high degree of skepticism. Several Republican election officials have said the program was vital and nonpartisan and dismissed criticism of it as conspiracy theories. And you got that? Republicans agree, too. Republicans agree with what the Democrats saying, therefore, it must be true. We don't actually need to look at the substance of the claim. We can just see that there is a bipartisan understanding of the truth of our claim. So you should just accept it. Even Republicans agree with it. What are you going to be the kind of person who doesn't believe in Republicans? <laughs> you just don't believe anything. Who are you going to believe? You don't believe Democrats. You don't believe Republicans. So what? You're just right about everything. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I have gotten arguments like that. God, people are stupid. A spokesperson for Zuckerberg and Chan confirmed that the couple is not funding election offices this year. As Mark and Priscilla made clear previously, their election infrastructure donation to help ensure that Americans could vote during the height of the pandemic 
was a one-time donation given the unprecedented nature of the crisis, Ben LeBolt said. They have no plans to repeat that donation. Epps Johnson said the group saw in 2020 just how woefully underfunded many local election offices are. Elections in the U.S. are run at the local level, sometimes by a small staff of city or county workers and volunteers. One New England office, Epps Johnson said, Use its 2020 grant to replace century-old election tabulation equipment. And many struggled to maintain usable websites that could provide voters information on mobile devices. You get it? All of this stuff is so important that they need outside funding. There's not enough state funding for this. And why is there not enough state funding? Well, it could be the tens and hundreds of millions of dollars the states of this country continue to spend on election machines and the surrounding equipment necessary to run the elections on the Dominion and ESNS and Heart InterCivics machines that can be and are hacked and manipulated. So because so much of the budgets that are set aside for elections are wasted on machines that actually make elections less secure. Well, now there's not enough money to do these important things like create websites or make sure that messages can be sent to people's mobile devices. Hey, how about just mail them their sample ballot and tell them where to go vote in person on a paper ballot at a small precinct where the ballots are counted by hand. How about that? That would work. That would solve the whole thing for way less money. And all of this is premised on the idea that we need to make our elections more efficient. That's why we use these machines. Well, tell me what was efficient about the 2020 election. We are still talking about it now. Expenses for the 2020 election are still being incurred now, not to mention the great expense that we as a society are paying for the stolen election. Go back to paper ballots and voting in person and all of these problems are solved and we don't need Mark Zuckerberg's money and we don't need this ridiculous notion that election offices are woefully underfunded. The network will work with technology experts at Stanford University and elsewhere, Epps Johnson said. Local election offices will be able to apply for assistance, but things will work differently than two years ago. In 2020, election offices were scrambling to switch to mail voting as the pandemic made traditional polling places harder to maintain. Again, that is entirely false. The pandemic had no effect on people's ability to vote, and even Anthony Fauci said it would not. In fact, he said that months before the election, on the day of the election, the CDC put out an announcement that voting was so important that people should go do it in person, even if they had active COVID infections. The mail ballots were never necessary and they were never for COVID. They were only to facilitate election fraud. There was never a problem maintaining precincts either. The problem started when they made voting centers at like massive sports arenas where they also hosted their counting rooms so that rather than a few hundred ballots being counted by hand at a local precinct, now we have tens of thousands of ballots, a truly unknown number, however many come in, being counted by machines at election centers 
where people were kicked out from watching the count at many of them. Negotiations over additional money for election offices collapsed amid partisan acrimony in Washington. In late August of that year, Zuckerberg announced his donations and CTCL swiftly distributed funds to 2,500 election offices for a wide range of expenses, including new ballot counting equipment, pickup trucks to haul voting machines and public relations campaigns advertising new ways to cast ballots. Public relations campaigns advertising new ways to cast ballots. Isn't that interesting? Well, what's the new way to cast a ballot? Mark Zuckerberg drop boxes. And how did they execute that public relations campaign? Well, they paid Hollywood celebrities and athletes and musicians to post on their Instagram videos or pictures of them dropping their ballots in the Zuckerberg drop boxes. So the money went to pay celebrities to propagandize taxpayers, but the money wasn't paid directly to them. The money was paid to state and local officials first, who then spent the money to propagandize taxpayers. Conservatives were immediately skeptical. Many have long distrusted Zuckerberg, believing he uses his social media platform to help Democrats. CTCL is a nonpartisan group respected by election administrators of both parties, but its founders have roots in liberal politics. And although the grants went to conservative and liberal areas, Democratic leaning counties received a disproportionate share of the money in battleground states like Florida and Pennsylvania. Well, and also everywhere else, there is no state where it was even. It went primarily to Democrats everywhere and its founders include David Pluff, Obama's former campaign manager, who literally wrote the book on how they were going to steal the 2020 election. This piece is from the Associated Press, but it's published in Breitbart. And then at the bottom of the article, it says comment count on this article reflects comments made on Breitbart.com and Facebook. Visit Breitbart's Facebook page. Very trustworthy. CTCL has spent much of the time since the 2020 contests pushing for greater government funding of election offices, saying that would be better than another round of private donations. The nonprofit was encouraged by Biden's request for $10 billion in election funding in the federal budget he released last month. Ten billion dollars in federal funding that goes directly to elections. Zuckerberg spent 400 plus million dollars and was able to completely control the results of the election. And they want 10 billion dollars more for election funding from the government paid for by the taxpayers. Well, I should say paid for by modern monetary theory and the central banks, but the taxpayers will be further enslaved to pay off what is then called a debt from the American taxpayers. Still, the movement fueled by Trump's false claims of widespread voter fraud has latched on to the 2020 donations as one of its many grievances over how the election was conducted. For example, at Colorado's GOP assembly on Saturday, candidate after candidate referred to Zuckerberg and Zuckerbucks as they claimed the election was stolen from Republicans. 
Mark Zuckerberg and his shadow forces should never be in charge of our elections, said Tina Peters, a county clerk under indictment for her role in the illegal download of voting software last year that was provided to Trump supporters. She made the comments to the crowd in Colorado Springs as she advanced to the party's primary ballot for the state's top election office, Secretary of State. Now, that entire paragraph about Tina Peters is just a flat out provable, objective lie. And again, it is extremely disappointing that Breitbart is reposting and publishing articles like this. I'm surprised this isn't one of those uh, sponsored articles, like it's news that is really an advertisement. It reads like news, but it only exists to push the agenda of whoever paid to have it published. Now, if you have any doubt whatsoever that the election was a complete and total fraud, that it was absolutely stolen and that the Mark Zuckerberg money played a primary role in that election theft, you have to check out what True the Vote is doing and what they're talking about. And I was going to go into this longer today, but maybe this is fine. I'll talk about it tomorrow or at some point this week. Do yourselves a favor and take an hour or so, listen to the Charlie Kirk episode with True the Vote, Engelbrecht and Phillips, April 7th. Okay, that's the date of the episode. You can find it easily on Podcast Guru or whatever podcast platform you listen on. I'm not a huge fan of Charlie Kirk's and haven't been in the past, but I have to say he did an excellent job. The interview was extremely well structured. He got incredible information out. And so kudos to him for running a wonderful interview. This is must hear stuff. And rather than me describing it in short, you should listen to the entire thing. It will blow your mind repeatedly. These are the people who tracked cell phone ping data for location for thousands of what they call ballot mules, people that would collect ballots that were oversent based on super inflated voter registries in states. They would collect those ballots, bring them to a hub, one of them being Stacey Abrams office in Georgia, bunch of hubs all over the place. They would process the ballots, turning them into votes at that point which they refer to as ballot laundering. And then they would send mules out to these drop boxes where they would just stuff the boxes with fake votes and take pictures of themselves doing so, so that they could get paid for their efforts. They've seen them crossing state lines to do this. They've seen different ballot mules and ballot harvesters working in different states across the country because this actually was a program designed on a nationally coordinated level to steal the election. They have all of the evidence. They have the location data to the devices. And that data, that location data is able to track where those devices are within 18 inches. They know the exact latitude and longitude. They know the time and they even know the elevation of the device, whether they were on the first floor or the seventh floor or the 17th floor. And they also have whistleblowers. So they have a map of what the organization was. They know how all of this went down. Listen to the interview and you will have absolutely no doubt about that. 
Naturally, I have no idea how long it will take for all of this to shake out. I am always optimistic. Maybe I am too optimistic about timelines, but I try to restrain myself. I believe still that this has to take place before the 2022 election. I'm not convinced that they even want to have a 2022 election because the communists are going to get blown out of the water. But either way, I think it's better for the nation moving forward if this can be dealt with before there is another falsified election. Because if the Republicans get in on that election, then it will seem more like a partisan operation to fix the election fraud from 2020. But that election fraud must be fixed. We cannot just expect that we're going to have a red wave that will overwhelm the cheating. The cheating does not get overwhelmed. That's the whole point. It wouldn't be a good system if it could just be overwhelmed. Maybe it works here and there in certain places, but that's not what delivered Glenn Youngkin his win last fall. And it's insane to think it did. If it did, it would have also knocked Phil Murphy out in the New Jersey governor's race. But they found enough ballots after the election ended and they got it all done. You know, the system is designed to cheat and deliver results that are antithetical to what we the people actually want. Anything short of getting rid of the cheating is a failure. It doesn't mean the game's over. I'm still happy to play the game if that's what it takes. I'm still happy to go cast my vote. If that's what it takes, but if that's how it goes, there should be no illusions about the legitimacy of anyone sitting in office at that point. The people sitting in office right now, making all these decisions from the local level to the national level are illegitimate unless they won without cheating, ending up with far more Republicans in these positions doesn't help. If those Republicans themselves were placed into these races and quote unquote won as assets of the global communist order, that would just put us right back where we started. And it could potentially make things even worse because people would believe that the elections were actually legitimate. Oh, you Republicans complained about it in 2020 just because you lost your sore losers. Now in 2022, you won. And so now the election system works because it benefited you. That's what we'll be told, but I digress. So make sure that you get to hear this Charlie Kirk interview with true. The vote April 7th, the Charlie Kirk show, and don't allow anyone to lie to you just because they frame the lie as being told for your own benefit. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter and Gab. And I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. 
Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!